We are outdoor ladies who hunt, shoot, and fish, all while working in conservation and chasing kids. I am Julia Plugge with the Nebraska Game and Parks Commission. I'm Rachel Alice with the Iowa Department of Natural Resources. And I'm Tana Fancher with the Kansas Department of Wildlife Parks. Follow us on our outdoor adventures. Thanks for joining us again for another episode of She Goes Outdoors. Julia, Rachel, here in Kansas, we've been blessed with the most beautiful 60 degree mornings. Falls right around the corner and I could not be more excited. We are still getting those 90 degree gut checks at about noon when I walk out the door for lunch, but I imagine those temperatures are going to start to fall over the next couple of weeks, which gets me so excited for fall outdoor activities. So um, in some previous episodes, we've talked about ways we're preparing for the fall hunting season, but the magic of fall goes so far beyond just hunting. So with that said, I'm really excited to introduce you all to today's guest. Not only is she a brilliant KDWP employee out of our Emporia Research and Survey Office with a scientific paper under her belt, but she's also a fellow fish nerd and accomplished outdoor woman and probably one of the kindest people I've ever met. You guys can't see her right now in the recording studio, but she's also got a flair for design. We're zooming in to chat with her and she's got like the coolest accent wall behind her. So clearly a woman of many talents and she's here to chat with us today about fall fishing. So including what's going on under the water and how anglers can take advantage of these changing conditions to find fish this fall. So we're excited to have you join us today. Welcome, Vanessa Salazar. Thanks for having me on. We're super stoked to have you. Yeah, we certainly are. And going back to this Kansas thing, I happened to be driving through Kansas this past weekend and Snapchatted Tana. I'm like, these amazing pictures of the waterways and these lakes. And this was like the furthest, furthest, most east part of Kansas. Like literally, if you took another step over, you'd be in a different state. Beautiful country and looked like there was a lot of fishing opportunities. So I'm excited to, to jump into this fall fishing conversation. Vanessa, would you mind telling our listeners a little about your background, your career path, and that your current position with KDWP. I'm from Fort Worth, Texas, originally, not from Kansas. Um, Grew up in Texas and, you know, that humid, hot weather all the time. So Kansas has been kind of a nice change. I get to experience an actual winter. It's not you know, 50, 60 degrees in the wintertime. Um, I kind of grew up fishing every single weekend, actually, with my parents. That was like our thing. We always went to the creek, you know, we went to the lakes, pretty much anywhere, shoreline fishing, dock fishing. Um, So that kind of like led me to this career path, actually. I've just always had like a passion for the outdoors. I I love fish. It's kind of weird, but I love fish. I think they're awesome. They're so cool. I love to catch fish. I love kayaking, just being out in the water. I think it's a great way to, you know, spend time. Um, And so how I started out is I went to Fort Hayes um, and then I kind of got into my first seasonal biological technician position with Fort Hayes and I got to help out one of my current coworkers, Ernesto Flores, with his blue catfish thesis for his master's. And that's when I was like, oh, yeah, like I'm doing this for the rest of my life. Like I need to get my foot in the door so I can work with fish. So from there, I actually went to Wyoming, worked as a seasonal with um, ANS and fisheries. 
And then I went on to KDWP and worked as a um, ecological technician actually for ESS. So I did stream work and I also was able to do terrestrial work as well. And then that led me to Emporia where I worked as a seasonal. I got to do a whole summer with them. I absolutely loved it. They introduced me to the research aspect of it, which I thought was so cool. And then I ended up getting a full-time job there and that's where I still am. That's amazing, Vanessa. I love that. And that's so interesting too. Those biotech positions can be so diverse and get you exposure to so many different fields. Um, if you are a student right now going into the biology realm, I highly, highly, highly recommend you try to get one of those biotech positions and help out. Um, even if it's something you're not entirely sure you're interested in, it opens up so many doors, so many connections, and it's just a, a fun thing to do. So um, Vanessa, what is your current position right now with KDWP? So my current position title is a fisheries wildlife biologist, but um, more specifically, it's fisheries and then also a definitely aquatic nuisance species. So I work a lot with um, ANS program. We'll be launching our watercraft inspection and decontamination program, hopefully this coming spring, um, where well, hopefully, um, you know, stop aquatic nuisance species from spreading zebra mussels. So for our listeners that, like myself, that might not be as in, ingrained in the uh, kind of the bio world, for those of you that are listening, um, the ANS is the aquatic nuisance species, if I'm correct. And, and so really the push there is to when boats are coming out of the water to really make sure people are pulling out the plugs, draining their boats and leaving anything that came from that lake at that lake before they transport it to another lake. Um, Vanessa mentioned zebra mussels. I know those are probably the most common and and the the easiest ones to see, but they're tiny little mussels that actually attach to your boat. And so they can spread by when you go to different bodies of water. So um, I like to sometimes bring it down to my level of, of the, uh, of the science world, just so that I can feel like I'm part of this conversation too. So thanks Vanessa and your, and your high level uh, (laughs) support there. So what is it about, about the fish? I mean, it's, you can clearly tell that you have the passion for it, but, but what is your excitement? Why fish of all things? I mean, last week we were talking about antelope. So um, many of our, our listeners can see antelope or have seen them, but fish are, I mean, half of them look prehistoric. What's your, what's your love of them? (laughs) Whenever I go out, like whenever I'm out on the lake and I'm just like on the water and I'm looking around, I'm like, oh my gosh, look at all of this water. Like, what are the chances that someone's going to catch a fish or catch something out of this body of water? Like, what are the chances? It's huge. Like, why would a fish come and bite what I have in the water? So like, to me, that's the exciting part. It's like, you don't know what's down there really. It's like this whole community under there that nobody really gets to see its own ecosystem. So to me, it's just awesome that, you know, it's like its own little world down there and not a lot of people are interested in it. So, you know, when I see research projects being done, I'm like, yeah, like that's awesome. That's so cool. And Vanessa, I really relate to your story as well. Growing up fishing with your family, you guys wouldn't know it talking to me and then hearing Vanessa talk, but I also have a degree in fisheries, not nearly as advanced as Vanessa. But part of the reason that I got into that field was because I did grow up fishing with my family. And I knew that I would always love that job and love that career path because when I was on the water, I felt close to my dad, close to my family, um, knowing that there was that like 
communal love for the fishery. And Vanessa, I imagine you probably feel that connection with your family through your work as well. Oh yeah, definitely. So Vanessa, Tana mentioned uh, in the intro that you have authored a scientific paper. Talk to us about the subject of that paper and what did the process, what's the process like? Yeah, so um, the actual paper is titled The Effect of Largemouth Bass Virus on Bass Populations in Kansas Impoundments. And so what we studied was um, a virus or a virology, largemouth bass uh, virus, and how it affects largemouth bass populations in different impoundments. Because what we found when we were collecting these fish was some bodies of water were positive with largemouth bass virus, but it seemed like their populations were doing pretty well. And according to literature, that's the opposite of what's supposed to happen. So we kind of wanted to figure out what lakes in the state of Kansas actually have have this virus and how is it affecting this fish. So we studied three things. We did relative weight, which is body condition, you know, how fat the fish is, uh, relative abundance, population size. We wanted to know what the population looked like and then also growth. So how fast they were growing, if the virus caused a slower growth or if it increased growth. So that's what the paper was really about. But the process of it was a little intimidating. Like um, I'm really lucky to have my amazing coworkers who were awesome co-authors and they helped me a lot with this process, but it's getting everything, you know, from sampling, collecting everything that you need to interpreting the data, analyzing it, figuring out, you know, like, what do we want to look, look at? And then kind of at the very end, you have to interpret it again to your audience. Like this is what we found and explain it all. And so then you got to choose, oh, well, which, you know, publication, place do I want to send this to like where is it going to have the best chance or the largest audience and then you kind of just send it in and you just cross your fingers and hope that they're going to accept it (laughs) but yeah it was intimidating but it was a really um, awesome learning experience for me. Vanessa how long of a time frame like like is this a three-year process or is this a two-month process? Yeah so I would say it's a year process Um, it took us a while to write the paper Um, And then when I first sent it in, of course, you know, I think this paper is awesome. Like you can't make it any better. And they have all these suggestions of things that you can change, you know, how you can make it better and you're changing your lingo. And it's like, okay, but that process in itself, once you send it in, it took two months for them to send it back to me with the first revision. And so then there's several revisions after that. So it does take a while. That's so cool. And for our nerdy listeners out there, is there a place that they can go to read your paper? Yes. So um, once it gets published, um, we submitted it to the Journal of Aquatic Animal Health, which is a American fishery society journal. That's so cool. And you said, so the steps in that process is it goes through that peer review, which you mentioned you got comments and feedback on. And then from there, it's been accepted, but not published yet. Is that right? Yep. It's been accepted subject to revision. So we're still, you know, in the revising process, second round. That's so cool. Well, congratulations. I don't know if I'm more intrigued by the topic or just your like intense passion for it. You're so much fun to talk to. <laughs> That's really, really cool. And I'm, intri- I'm intrigued by just the virus. And, and I mean, we're, our world is full of the t- virus talk right now. So uh, knowing that there's viruses that even go through the aquatic world and then the fact that uh, this is an interesting virus to learn about because it's, well, it's not the virus that we hear about all the time. So, and how this, these 
this virus thing can take over so much of our world in so many different ways. So cool topic. And I, I, I personally think it's so funny to and cool to see Tana just geek out. You can tell that she is just eating it up. And and Vanessa, from from those of us that can't even begin to understand all of the work that went into your paper, congratulations. Just just to I finished my master's program and when I sent that last paper in, it was like this like hallelujah moment. And so <laughs> I can only imagine that that's what it was times like a thousand that you probably did a couple dances after and, and then to oh, get yeah. word back that, yes, we're accepting it, but can you make these, you know, minor details? Yes. Yes. We can get that done. So, <laughs> so kudos to you yeah. to, to get that off your plate and to, yeah, accomplish that. It's awesome. Thank you. Anna mentioned we're transitioning into fall. It's getting cooler. I don't know about anybody else. That means football to me. And that means that I can actually wear hoodie sweatshirts again and, and not look completely out of pit place when it's 90 degrees out. So um, as we as we transition to fall, like what's going on with the water? I'm going to sound like a nerd, but so from Late spring to early fall, most lakes are experiencing um, thermal stratification. So the water body has three different layers. Top layer, you know, is your warmest layer. You know, it's being warmed by the sun all day long. Uh, Middle layer is like kind of like the separation layer. Like you'll see a distinct difference from the top where it's pretty warm to your very bottom layer, um, which is cooler water where most of fish spend their time in the summer. So they want to be in that cooler water where there's oxygen, you know, they don't want to be stressed out in the warmer water. So as fall comes in, that water on the top is starting to cool down because your temperatures during the day are lower, especially at night. So as the water cools down, it's starting to sink. And then you have the wind coming in. You guys have noticed it's been kind of windy the last two weeks. It's been really windy. So you're getting this mixing going on. So you have your water water layers just mixing and turning over. So some of you may have heard this referred to as fall turnover. Um, That's kind of what's going on with water right now. The temperatures are mixing, nutrients are mixing, everything's kind of getting adjusted. There's an influx of nutrients and fish are starting to move around. So let's talk more about this, how the fish respond to these changes, because I certainly would think that this probably affects uh fishing as far as the sport i'm fascinated by this i mean we know that this happens in the spring when cooler is returning into warm. and i didn't think about it now that that it's basically opposite of what is happening in the fall yeah so in the summer you know your fish are usually in deeper water where it's cool you always want to fish deep because you know those fish are down there they're congregated But as fall comes in and things start cooling off, fish start creeping out of the depths, going up into shallow areas. You know, by this point, most fish have reproduced already and you've got little fish swimming around. So these fish are coming up out of the depths and they're moving up shallow and they're finding all these forage fish that have just been produced in this past year. And, you know, they're eating, they're hungry. (laughs) That's so cool. So now, you know, we've got a diverse um, range of listeners. We've got those that have super fancy bass boats that go out every weekend. And to those people, I say, hey, shoot me an invite. I want to come. Um, But if you are, you know, just a shore angler, more of a casual angler, just fishing from the shore, fall is the perfect time to get out then, right, Vanessa? Because those fish are coming into the shallows. Fall is one of the times to fish. That's awesome. Well, gosh, the bugs are starting to get the heck out of Dodge. The weather's nicer. 
Yeah, I'm with Rachel. I'm ready to put on a sweatshirt. Wait, the bugs are hitting the heck out of Dodge. I don't know. Last <laughs> night I was near a, a body of water and I kid you not, the mosquitoes were going to carry me away. So make sure you grab your bug spray. They're still around, Tana. They're to, at least in Nebraska. I don't know about Kansas. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's still early. We're talking when fall really hits. Oh, we're not okay, there okay. yet. Okay. <laughs> yeah, no, no, they're here in force. We had like a second wave of mosquitoes, unfortunately. We did really oh. well around Pretty Prairie all summer. Oh gosh, guys, that's where I live. Please don't stalk me. Um, yeah, <laughs> I live in Pretty Prairie and the, the mosquitoes weren't too bad, but I'm hoping, I don't know, with this last influx, for some reason we have a ton. Anyway, back on track, shiny object. You guys know me. Vanessa, how important is that thermal stratification and that cycling to like the nutrients in a water body? Um, it's pretty important because if you think about it, uh, most lakes are man-made, most impoundments are man-made. So it's like, where, are, where is the nutrients coming from? Is it just from rain? Is it from runoff? So when you have this natural mixing that goes on, it kind of cycles itself, you know, so you don't need, we don't have, you know, streams running in like most natural water bodies. So yeah, I would say it's really important, especially with oxygen movement in water. That's very important for fish. They rely on that. Um, and then also the nutrients. And I know a lot of times with this shift too, or I guess not a lot of times, but sometimes we see major fish kills this time of year, or as we transition into winter. Is that part of this process or um, is that related to something else? I'm not sure about fish kills in the fall, but I know, um, well, I guess, yeah, late, late summer, early fall fish kills. That's usually oxygen depletion. Like if there's no mixing and the water's just stagnant, like there's not a lot of oxygen for the fish, you know, to breathe. So they kind of just get really stressed out. They have nowhere else to go. And you know, poor things. That's what leads to fish kills is lack of oxygen. That's so cool. And a lot of times, you know, our offices will get calls about fish kills and people's immediate kind of response or reaction is that there's some sort of toxin in the water, that there's been some sort of chemical spill or something like that, um, some major virus. And a lot of the times that is kind of this natural process. And it can be dependent too on that weather shift and whether or not we like ease into a lovely, gentle, gradual fall, or if it's like 90 degrees one day, and then all of a sudden it's 40 degrees for the rest of the year. Like, you know, that, that has a big effect on it. So um, best case scenario, we kind of ease into that, right, Vanessa? Definitely. <laughs> As I uh, start digging out the, re-dig out the fishing poles for this fall fishing adventures. What specific species would you suggest that I target this fall? As I said earlier, fall is one of the best times to go fishing. You know, you're not going to go out there and just sweat, you know, your clothes off because it's so hot. Like I said, fish are actively feeding. So you have all these fish moving up to the shallows. So for me, one of my favorite fish, you know, to target is um, largemouth bass in the fall. Cause they are, you know, they're a voracious predator. They like, they move a lot. So if you go and you're a shoreline fisherman, I would go and um, throw crankbait out into the deeper water and just reel it in. There's not really a lot, you know, finesse to that, but you would catch a lot of fish and you will even catch white bass. You know, you could catch wipers cause they're all moving up. So pretty much any fish you want to catch in the fall, as we're moving into that, like you have a pretty good chance of catching anything 
um, because these fish are really actively moving around. You know, they're trying to find food because winter is coming. For those of us that maybe aren't to the bass level, and I, I still consider myself a crappie fisherman because I love to eat them. Do you have any suggestions on bait or places to fish? You've mentioned some impoundments, which I'm pretty sure you're talking about man-made lakes or man-made ponds. Just trying yes. to translate that into my layman's term. If if I'm looking for crappie or bluegill or that type of a pan fish that I can eat. Do you have any suggestions on, on bait or places? For a crappie, um, you definitely want to target um, habitat. So brush piles, usually they're easier to fish off of a boat, but there are brush piles, you know, at reservoirs off the shore. So for bait, um, one of my favorite baits to use is a, just a metal spoon. Like I can't describe it, but it kind of looks like just the the spoon part of a spoon, but you kind of just drop that in the water and you'll just lift it up, up and down. And it, since it's shiny, it looks like a fish. Another option is using live bait. So if you just want to go to a bait shop, buy some minnows, put that on the end of your hook. If you're not, if you don't have a boat, it's easier if you use live bait, especially for crappie, you just put a bobber and throw it out there and leave it. And a crappie is going to take that because that's an easy meal. So that's what a lot of what I did actually when I was a kid. That's much more my my style. Send it out there and then hope and pray that something's going to eat it and then <laughs> that I can hook it in time and reel it to shore so that I can actually <laughs> enjoy it for dinner. So thanks for those suggestions. And I'm all about the easy meal. That just sounds like my uh, my life. Let's, let's have an easy meal and I'm going to go out <laughs> and try to catch fish with an easy meal. Oh, absolutely. And there's a ton of fish that you can catch on a bobber with like a minnow suspended underneath. Um, I remember when I was little, my dad and I fished like a little mini kids tournament and I was super shocked to have caught a channel catfish on a minnow suspended under a bobber. So like, I just thought that was wild, but there's, you know, like Vanessa said, that time of year fish are trying to feed. Um, looking into a lot of these little forage fish around the shore. So great time to get out. Vanessa, I'm curious too. So as fish are transitioning out of that like spring and summer spawn, um, does their body condition change as well? Are they starting to plump back up and get healthier? Yeah, definitely. So earlier in the summer, you know, um, in spring, they're kind of focused on reproduction. They are trying to get a year class out. Like we got to reproduce. This is what we're going to spend all of our energy on is reproducing a year class. And then come fall, they're kind of done with all that. And they're like, okay, now I'm going to eat as much as I can before winter comes. And so, yeah, they're definitely going to be a little fatter than they would in the middle of the summer. And to clarify, this is controversial in the fish world, but I want to put it out there because there's no shame in the game. I love, this is, I'm so scared people are going to come for me. I love to eat largemouth bass. Um, they are freaking delicious um, as part of our management at KDWP, like we, we allow certain take of largemouth bass and that's something that we factor into the equation. So um, a lot of people kind of regard largemouth bass as like the bald eagle of the fishery. Like it's this sacred sport fish that we can't consume. So I just wanted to do a plug that assuming you're following all the proper length and creel limits, absolutely. You should try to eat, eat largemouth bass. They are delicious. I like them even better than crappie, believe it or not. So just wanted to put this spiel out there. If it's something you're not comfortable with, no big deal, but I'd encourage everybody to try them. Anna, before you get off your soapbox, what's your favorite <laughs> way of, uh, of preparing them? Oh man, I've had them just about every way. There is a way to prepare fish. I'm sure you've all have heard of. Um, it was taught to me as like poor man's lobster, basically where you like boil it in butter. <laughs> I don't know. Ooh. That's like a delicious way. You put anything in a ton of butter and that's the way to go. 
Um, my grandma makes really good like oven baked largemouth bass. That's something we did when we were little um, is we'd go fish my uncle's farm pond and then bring the bass home and clean them for grandma. And she put them in the oven. And that was really exciting. They're delicious fried. They're delicious with a little bit of like lemon and dill. If you want to go that route, um, it's a, it's a firm, mild fish. I mean, it doesn't get a ton better. Vanessa, we were, or I guess my partner was recently out at Rocky Ford and shot some gar. And so we have gar in the freezer now because a lot of people don't realize they're really hard fish to get into as far as cleaning them. But that is really fantastic, like firm, white, flaky, boneless in the area you pull it from. That's good meat. Have you had gar, Vanessa? Yes, I actually have. It is it is a thick piece of white meat. Like it really is. I think gar are definitely overlooked. Absolutely. That's a total topic for another day. <laughs> I want to stay on that soapbox because you guys know I like bow fishing and uh like eating fish, especially, but let's, we better get back on topic here. I, I hate to, I'm going to drag it on a little bit more on this conversation of eating largemouth bass. And I love it. Uh, that's my, one of my favorites. And we're, we had that episode back, well, the, back this spring when we talked about catching largemouth bass techniques of how to and where to. So it's kind of fun that we're looping back on that conversation. My, I have to jump in, throw in my recipe. I should say my husband's recipe. He will take a largemouth bass and basically the, the whole fish and season the outside of it like crazy, wrap it in foil and put it on the grill. So easy. Love it. Has that grill flavor to it. So I had to t- toss in my easy meal concept too. <laughs> I love it. Sorry, Vanessa, you didn't realize you were going to get dragged into the largemouth bass consumption controversy today, but here we <laughs> no are. Controversy oh, about so it. No controversy. No controversy. So Vanessa, are there any other cool fish related projects that KDWP is getting into this year? So um, this year we did um, actually a flathead catfish uh, study at eight impoundments, more specifically state fishing lakes, as we call them here in Kansas. And so we did a mark recapture study. Uh, We pulled their spine specifically because it, you know, it's not lethal to the fish. It heals um, pretty easily for them. And also we can get an age um, from the spine that we pull. So we just finished collecting those sp- spines the last week of August. So we haven't gotten to, you know, interpreting the data or analyzing anything, but yeah, we're really excited to look at those eight impoundments. You know, a lot of people like to catch, you know, big flatheads, but you know, do people ever wonder like, how old is this fish? Like that could be a 30 year old fish, you know? Um, so we want to know what these populations look like um, in a small impoundment, such as the state fishing lake. We also did a blue catfish uh, tag and recapture study at Tuttle Creek Reservoir. This is actually the third uh, reservoir that we've done. Previously, we did El Dorado Reservoir and Milford Reservoir. And so we're kind of doing the same thing with those populations. We're looking, you know, at relative abundance, the population size, and then, you know, um, in growth as well with the use of spines. A aquatic nuisance species uh, study we're doing this summer is actually eDNA statewide. So we're looking at uh, eDNA to see if we can detect uh, invasive carp. You know, some people call them Asian carp. We want to know where they are in the state um, right now. They're only known to be in the Kansas River and possibly in Neosho. Um, so we're doing this statewide in multiple uh, streams, rivers. So I'm really excited to, you know, see if we can find any detections of invasive species. What about uh, the aquatics such as, but non-fish related? So such as like um, uh, mussels. So our office is definitely not doing anything um, non-aquatic or 
non-fish related, I should say, but I know that we have uh, some mussel stuff going on down at Farlington Hatchery. They're doing mussel propagation, um, which is really important and really cool because, you know, mussels, most all of them are endangered, you know, or extirpated. So they're doing their own propagation. You know, they have mussels in these tanks, you know, with running water, just as they would be in a stream. And they're having them make babies, you know, tiny little mussels, and they're able to release them back into the wild, which is really cool. Like we don't want to, we don't want to lose mussels. They definitely help with water quality. So with your first two studies, did you say you're taking the spine out of fish? Yes. So we're taking a, so like an arm, basically to me, it's an arm. (laughs) That's amazing. I had never heard of that because of my lack of knowledge in this, this uh, arena, but I, I thought I heard you correctly. And I was like, I, I got to double check that we're, so by pulling out the spine, you're able to then determine age of the fish. Is that my understanding? Yep. And this is um, a catfish thing. So catfish were able to get ages from spines. Other fish, you kill it. So, so guys, Vanessa used the term pectoral spine. So those are going to be, like she said, the arms. So the fins that are kind of right up behind the gills, um, those spines are real hard and like firm and pointy. And that's one of the like defense mechanisms of a catfish. Um, If you've ever been poked by one, you also know they can sting pretty bad and they're serrated as well. If you look at them like under a microscope or sometimes if the fish is big enough, you can see those. Biologists can take those spines and like they can pull one out and they can re-release the fish. Like the fish will survive without that spine. It's okay. So it's a really interesting thing to be able to study and they don't have to kill the fish to get that information. Thanks for the clarifier. So Vanessa, there's another cool thing I've kind of heard some folks in your office talk about. I think when I was talking to Ernesto recently, he mentioned it, and that's related to the rusty crayfish. And I know this is a project that you guys have kind of partnered with a grad student on to do some research about, but um, from my understanding, the rusty crayfish is an ANS or aquatic nuisance species. And this grad student recently discovered them in Kansas, which could uh, cause a host of problems because that rusty crayfish can outcompete some of our native species. So it's just, you know, another good example of a great time to talk about aquatic nuisance species and our responsibility as folks enjoying the water, whether it's anglers or, you know, recreationally swimming, boating, etc., Um, be really careful about those messages like clean, drain, dry, be able to identify those aquatic nuisance species. Um, There's a great quiz on the KDWP website at ksoutdoors.com where you can go and actually get what we call an ANS certification. So you can take that quiz and learn more about aquatic nuisance species, the role you can play in stopping the spread and how to ID some of those. So definitely a good thing for everybody to check out. Um, It's also worth mentioning that funding for conservation and managing aquatic species and habitats comes from the sale of fishing licenses and excise taxes placed on fishing equipment. Consider buying a fishing license to enjoy connecting with that aquatic world and the mystery underneath the water like Vanessa mentioned and also support its health and longevity for generations to come. You know, even if you're not a super avid angler, really consider uh, purchasing a license because it's so much more than sport fish that are being managed. There's a ton of native species that benefit. Um, Like Vanessa mentioned, you know, we're checking out mussels, we're checking out all kinds of species that overall help with the um, health of the entire aquatic ecosystem things like water quality, things we all depend on. So if you are an angler, thank you for purchasing that fishing license and supporting aquatic conservation. And uh, yeah, check it out, y'all. All right, Vanessa, before we wrap it up today, I have to know, 
going back to food. What uh, what's your favorite fish to fish, and then what's your favorite fish to eat? Okay, so my favorite fish to to fish for, I would. It's hard to narrow that down. I really like catching sunfish. So like bluegill, green sunfish, um, orange spotted sunfish, um, largemouth bass is actually also a sunfish. So any of the sunfish species for me, that's, I love catching those, um, especially fly fishing. I love throwing a fly out and not knowing, you know, what I'm going to reel in. It's probably going to be a sunfish. It could be a minnow, could be a channel catfish. Actually it's so yeah, I would have to say sunfish. And then my favorite fish to eat, hmm, I would have to say blue catfish. Blue catfish is pretty tasty. It's pretty good. It's a fan favorite in our household too. So you're, you're <laughs> among fellow catfish lovers. So thank you. Um, again, we truly, uh, truly appreciate your time this morning and joining us and, and really just broadening my horizon as to all of the different work that's being done across all of our states within the aquatic world and with specifically within the aquatic nuisance world. Um, it is amazing and, and such, Dana mentioned on it, just such important work. Our native species are so reliant on us being good stewards of the water, good stewards of the land. So these sections and the work that's being done and the research that's being done is really important because what Kansas discovers does cross over into Iowa, does cross over into Nebraska. We all share so many you know, water bodies and land, land lines. So it, it is important work. And, and so we do appreciate you taking some time out of your busy schedule and joining us. So thank you again. Yeah, thank you for having me. Okay, before we wrap up, and because we've been talking a lot about just going fishing and the pleasure of going fishing, I want to spread a little word about a program that Nebraska Game and Parks has been doing here in Nebraska, and it's called the Take Them Fishing. And so this is for our third year, the Nebraska Game and Parks Commission is challenging you all to take someone fishing. It could be an adult, it could be youth. Uh, we challenge you to share that passion with someone you care about. Again, a friend, a family member, your kid, even, you know, kid can take an adult out that hasn't been fishing in forever or ever. It doesn't matter if they've never fished before it, or if they've just fallen out of the habit. So take them fishing, you'll be so happy that you did it. Basically what you do is you snap a photo of you and taking someone out fishing. You submit it to uh, the take them fishing at our outdoornebraska.gov, take them fishing. And by doing that, you send that photo in, you have a chance to win really super cool things like a bass tracker boat. Uh, with a trailer, kayak, gift cards, or a weekend stay at Nebraska State Park. Simply, that's all you have to do is take someone fishing, take a picture of the two of you fishing, submit that photo, and voila, I mean, enter in for some really cool photos. You can, you don't even have to have like a state record. Just go grab the, sm catch the smallest fish possible. You don't even have to have caught any fish. Just just go out and enjoy the experience together. So I had to do that little plug-in. Thanks for the time. Vanessa, you have totally been a catch, no pun intended, to have on the podcast today. Thank you for joining us. So do you have any last tips 
uh, for our seasoned or aspiring fall anglers out there? I would say just get out there. If you're ever going to try fishing, if you've never tried it before, um, or if you've never tried really intently fall fishing, I would say just get out there and go. Fall is one of the best times to go fishing. You have a really good chance of catching pretty much anything. You don't know what you're going to catch. You know, you can throw out a live bait in target wiper, but you can catch uh, a white bass or a largemouth bass. You know, these fish are really going to be moving around. So I would just say, just get out there, you know, enjoy some time outdoors, you know, and just, you know, attempt to go fishing. You'll really enjoy it. Well, folks, we hope you enjoyed the conversation today and that it inspired you to get out on the water this fall. Um, as always, we encourage you to explore the outdoors safely. You guys have heard us say this before, um, but that includes letting someone know where you're going and when you plan to return. Respect the safety and space of other anglers and wear those life jackets if you're out on the water. Always check the regulation summaries as well before going out to ensure you're up to date on all current regulations and brush up on your fish ID before you hit the water. KDWP is proud to offer our hunting and fishing regulation summaries in Spanish as well both digitally on our website at ksoutdoors.com or in print at our offices and most licensed vendor locations around the state, including a lot of Walmarts. Um, so for additional fishing-related information, check out your local fish and wildlife or DNR website for or our resources offered by our friends at RBFF or the Recreational Boating and Fishing Foundation at their website, takemefishing.org. Or you can check out our sgooutdoors.com website and click on fishing under the Discover Outdoors tab. So like Tana mentioned, thank you all for joining us and tuning in. Don't forget to like, share, or subscribe to the podcast. Um, that allows you to get alerts anytime a new episode is uploaded. Feel free to leave us a review. Let us know what you love or what you want to hear about. Uh, check out our Facebook page at She Goes Outdoors. Stay in touch. Share your photos and comment on the topics. And until next time, we'll see you outdoors. Mm -hmm.